Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to Conquering Columbus. This is episode 143 of the show, and in this episode, Josh is flying solo, so be prepared for some corny jokes and a lot of great content. Today, Josh sat down with Chris and Becca Applestat, and Chris and Becca each run their own companies. Chris is the founder and CEO of Light Up Columbus, which designs and installs holiday landscape event and architectural lighting for residences, businesses, and municipalities throughout central Ohio. And Becca is the co-founder and CEO of Tree Tree, the agency of special projects. And to top it all off, they're both married to each other. They've got kids and any aspiring entrepreneur has a lot to learn from these two. So of course, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And as always, we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that though, we want to take a quick moment to thank some of our sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that's going to start with FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our last sponsor is Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to join like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes, participate in large-scale volunteer efforts, and improve educational opportunities for youth in our community. To get your small business involved or to learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. So Chris and Becca, welcome to Conquering Columbus. So kind of we like to kick it off and we can go, you know, one at a time or however we want to do this, but just talking about childhood, upbringing, you know, major key moments that led up to the beginning of your professional career. And then we kind of break that into the second part of the episode and we talk about, you know, professional things moving forward. So between each of you, like, talk about grow up in Columbus and what were the key moments in your life leading up to uh, graduating college? I grew up in Columbus from the age of five, so went through all the way till college here, and went to college down at Ohio University, studied journalism. But in terms of my career in the early years, probably the most pivotal moment of impact was when I got an internship as a high school senior, and I was 17, and I started in advertising. And I really hit the jackpot with that agency because The owners were incredible at giving guidance and wanting to teach and uh, support and really saw something in me that I didn't know I had or see in myself. And I think that that was a moment of a lot of nurturing 
my love for strategy and business and I started to read a million books on the topic. And then throughout high school, I always had two jobs ever since I was 14. I just, I really enjoyed earning my own money. I was a hard worker. My parents uh, worked retail and they had incredibly long careers at a store called the Andersons. And my mom rose to a leadership position there. And so she had shown me at an early age that women can have a place at the, the table where it's mostly men, and in her company it was. And also just look back on all the things she taught with the work ethic and balancing 60 hours a week and then having mashed potatoes from scratch on the table. And I mean, she even ironed our pillowcases. Uh, she was pretty incredible at, at keeping up with all of that. So I think it's a combination of those things that really kind of were the tipping point for that work hard, love it, and then certainly my internship led to a 10-year career at that agency. Anderson's is definitely a name that strikes home. So I'm from the Toledo area originally. Oh, really? And yeah, everything was Anderson's. Down. That was like the giant eagle marketplace for us yeah. of growing up. That's where I was born in Toledo. They worked at that store in Sylvania, and then we moved when they built the sawmill store. That's okay. what brought us to Columbus. I remember the main thing is they had like a huge jelly bean aisle. I don't know why that's what sticks out <laughs> in my mind, but so yeah. and like even what I think is interesting about that from your story is even people who have really hardworking parents sometimes they don't seem to take that same path. Maybe even the complete opposite. But you seem to find a love for working hard and wanting to grow your career. How did you balance that after you took the internship then going off to college? Did you continue to work during the summers for that organization? Yes. Yeah, it was a great setup because they would send me projects that I could do from school and I would do some of them during the school year and then I would come back because OU at the time was on um, quarters so we had the six week break at Christmas time and I would come back for that plus summers and stayed involved and really got a chance to explore the agency and learn about all different kinds of clients and I was just like this person that kept showing up and they couldn't get rid of me. And it was such an incredible experience. And the culture there was really unique. And I think a lot of those elements were very foundational uh, in the forming of Tree Tree. And Chris, what does your story look like? Well, before I tell you my story, I first got to say that I'm a huge fan of Conquering Columbus. I uh, have listened to probably at least 80, 90 episodes so far. And I think you guys are doing a, a great job. And uh, it's kind of genius, the fact that you've got two, three hotshot young guys that come in and go, well, we're going to talk to the 200 most successful people where we live. And you, pro you probably have the best Rolodex in town, the best network from all the awesome people that you've talked to. So I really enjoy listening to your show, and I just appreciate the opportunity to be here. So thanks a lot. Yeah, we appreciate it. 80 to 90 blows my mind. I get surprised when I see anybody listens, So, <laughs> especially with some of the jokes that I try to come out with. So. Oh, that's the best part. Yeah, it's been fun, though. I mean, we've been fortunate to sit down with a lot of awesome people, and you guys included. So During my busy time of the year where we're really working a lot on holiday lights, I've uh, sometimes spent a whole day listening to you know, eight or nine throughout the day. So it's, I, I like to read, but audiobooks are my way of getting knowledge as opposed to sitting down and reading because I fall asleep. And so uh, your podcast has been great, great information, and I've got to learn a lot, and here's people that are friends, and... I'm a wrestling coach, and I love uh, love hearing wrestlers talk, too, so that's a cool part of your, your guys' story. I moved to Columbus in sixth grade, and uh, a fun side note is that I started wrestling in seventh grade, and one of my wrestling statisticians is my wife, Becca, which is pretty <laughs> cool. We went to the same middle school and high school together and weren't really great friends, but that's when we first met was through the sport of wrestling, so I think that's pretty cool. I, I've heard a lot of your podcast, and... There's a lot of similar stories where you hear uh, someone very successful talk about how their parents owned businesses, they had paper routes and started selling brownies, and you know, a lot of entrepreneurs kind of had that feeling and that bug when they were little kids, and I definitely did not. Both my parents are PhDs in music and don't know a thing about business and don't care about it, and uh, it, it's something that never really appealed to me as a little kid. I didn't mow a lot of lawns or shovel driveways. Went to, went to school at Ohio State to study molecular genetics. That was my uh, declared major, I think. Randy Langus is a genetics guy, too. And 
I ended up having six different majors in college. So I was all over the board, it was really crazy. I majored in photography and education and finally found my way to the business school. And the reason I even got involved in business was because one of my coaches and mentors was involved in selling Amway, you know, the multi-level marketing. I know we, we, we know some people in common that are really into that. And I got all in, was gonna be a billionaire and never really made a dollar, but through that experience, got to meet some really successful business people. And it fostered in me the idea of entrepreneurship and having control and having your own business. And so that's what made me go into the business school. Uh, you know, actually in Fisher, I, they, they let you make your own major. I don't know if you know that, but they have a program where you walk in, you hand them a sheet of paper that says, I wanna take all these classes, this is why, and they approve it or deny it. So technically my degree is in entrepreneurship from Ohio State, and I got to pick out all the classes that sounded cool and not take any of the ones that sounded awful. And so I might be the only person with an entrepreneurship degree from, from Ohio State because they still have a minor program there. Um, but that's how, you know, that's my early story, how I got involved in thinking about owning a business. It's very cool. Yeah, I, uh, I had no idea that they did that. And I almost feel like for me, I'm the type of person where I'd go in and like, I shouldn't be allowed to choose my own thing. Like kind of like, I talked about this in an earlier episode about like the Mongolian barbecue experience where you go in and they yeah. let you choose your own thing. And I just destroy it because like I ruin, I just throw everything on there. So I'd probably do that with my degree as well. But yep. that's, that's pretty cool the way that they let you formulate that. And then you kind of walk away with an experience that you really care about um, and put some passion into. So when you when you finish college, what does the path look like for both of you? I went straight to work at the former agency. I had to make that decision. Do I go to a big city and try to hit New York or San Francisco or Chicago and do one of the big agencies? Because I, I knew that that would be one trajectory and path for my career, but really kept coming back to that culture element and everything that they had given me the opportunity to do. And I knew that I wouldn't start quite entry level, like I had a, a running start there and they knew what I was capable of. So I got to almost design my own position and decided to formulate the account planning um, or business strategy, brand planning side of things for that agency and built up that department over the next probably six years. And Chris, what does yours look like? So technically my career started right after high school one of my wrestling coaches was the Ohio vice president for college craft painting here in Columbus. And I've heard a couple other people on the podcast that also did the, did the college painting gigs in the summer. And so right before freshman year of college, I was knocking on doors, selling painting jobs, uh, and then ran the crew that produced the work. The next summer I came back, ran two crews. And then the third year, my boss left the company to go to law school and I took over running the Ohio market. So it's before my junior year of college, I'm running three or four crews and I have a boss, but my boss is in Chicago and I, I saw him like twice throughout the year. So I'm basically running the business at that time. And that's kind of the same timing of when I uh, started thinking about business and being interested in it and decided, well, heck, I'm doing all the work. I'm running this whole business to make some people money that I don't even see. I may as well start my own business. And so it just, they kind of shut down the office and I said, well, I'm not gonna come work for you next year. I took a, uh, a quarter off school, scraped a little money to buy some trailers and equipment and then kept doing the exact same thing, except I was you know, running my own, my own business instead of someone else's. And I really had no idea what I was doing, but that ended up being my career. I, I ran that company for 12 years, you know, so it, it was, I never grew it to be a huge, crazy thing, and I, I always had a uh, focus on the quality of the work as opposed to getting as much work as we possibly could. Painting is not very difficult, but there's also a lot of scumbag painters that are out there, and so I really focused on hiring great guys, make them into good painters, and then do the best work possible. And uh, yeah, so that, that was my first business, and I sold it 12 years later, but it was, it was pretty cool. So running it for 12 years, like when you look back on those those times, what do you think motivated you? Like what internally drove you to not want to stop the headaches? And I'm sure there was a lot of ups and downs that go with that, especially like you said, like the type of 
um, individuals that normally are, are willing to take a job like that, it's, it's a more difficult daily job. Not to so mention it's, it's exhausting. Yeah, like hard long physically. hours. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's gotta be hard to manage that type of environment. So what drove you through that? You know, for me, entrepreneurship was always less about money and more about your freedom of your time. You know, I, I wanted to have the ability to be in control of my own destiny. And if I needed to make more money, I could work harder and sell more jobs. You know, and if I wanted to take two weeks off or two months off and go on a road trip across the Western United States, I did Which it. you did. Yeah. You know, and it was awesome. There's some great memories from, from that experience. And uh, it was just what I knew. I, you know, if, if I hadn't have got that job at, right out of the high school, I have no idea what the heck I would have done for that decade of my life. Um, but I, it's what I knew, and I was able to buy a house right out right after college, and you know, rent it out to rent it out to friends, and and I enjoyed it throughout that experience. A, a couple years in, I, you know, we always really really cranked in the summer. That's the busiest time, and in Ohio, there's not a lot of exterior painting going on, you know, in the winter, and so that was always the slow time. And I was coaching wrestling to to fill up my time, but I met some guys in Florida, in Orlando, who had a holiday lighting business. And they were showing me their stuff and showing me their work. And I was like, man, I've already got ladders. I've got clients. I've got employees. I should do this in Columbus. I just need to learn how to hang lights. And so I started my second company and started doing holiday lighting. In the first year, we lit three houses and we did an awful job. And I'm still embarrassed about the work. I want to go light their houses for free now. But that's how I got started in the, in the holiday lighting, so it was a pretty neat transition there. And so what year are we at in your story right now? I think I, I started what at the time was called Holiday Illuminations. Uh, now it's Light Up Columbus, and that was in 2006. So I think three years after I had started my painting company, I added in a lighting service in the winter. Okay. Yeah. And so you stop at the agency at what year is this? 2009. Okay, and this is where your path starts to unfold almost to where it is today. Yeah. the beginning of it. Fast forward to 10 years and there we are. Uh, 2009 was uh, a hard year. You know, I, I had loved this agency and this experience and it had had a really long run for 20 years and a lot of success and a great reputation and path and the economy hit and it was one of the unfortunate organizations that didn't make it through that and we we knew that that was probably its fate at a certain point and started to think about plan b i say we because i had a partner at the time Um, i have a co-founder and she also worked at that agency so that's actually you know what a gift to meet my my co-founder and have an experience of getting used to working together and really knowing each other and deciding to go out on our own together and make that leap. I know I would not have done it on my own. I know at 27, I never would have been, I mean, it was pretty crazy to do just the two of us, but I would never have been that crazy. And uh, she was incredibly brave to, to do that because I was on my own and had you know nothing really to, if I failed, it's just me. And she had two young kids and a, a family to support. And so um, sometimes people say it was so brave of you to do that. And especially in that economy, you're, you're kind of nuts. And I always look at that as, you know, I don't really feel like I was brave at that time. I feel like I was scared. And really, Tiff's the brave one. She, she made an enormous decision and leap of faith. At the same time that we were starting Tree Tree, her, her husband had just bought a business so there were new entrepreneurs within like six months of each other. I still think back to that, and she's just it's got a lot of some, risk. At yeah, once. got some real grit. Um, so we started to research other options and talk about it. And it's not that I ever had a plan to, you know, start a company that young or that was something I had ever considered before. But I had considered it at some point in the future and thought that I was almost on that path and being groomed to maybe take over that place or have an opportunity to to get to that point where I would be operating it more fully. And 
in college, I remember I was 20 years old and I was making a, like a bucket list. And I remember this moment of writing on there, own my own agency. And I was inspired by one of my professors who was a woman who owned an agency in Omaha, Nebraska that was very successful. And you know, not, not a lot of women that I knew were at the heads of agencies. So I remember stopping and thinking, am I gonna do that? Do I, is that, like, it just kind of came out of me. And so I connected those dots at that time that this is probably in my future, why not now? And honestly, it felt, it felt safer than going to work somewhere that I was unsure about their culture because we had come from such a special place that was very, very unique. And I think that um, that was more terrifying. Yeah, it's an interesting dynamic. Like the thought of, of when I think about when I wanting to start my own business and, and doing that on my own, I think of, you know, there's the fear of failing there, but there's also the fear of going on and living your life and never having made that attempt. Yes. Or living, you know, someone else's dream and their culture and constantly being under that and never taking the chance on your own. Yeah. And I think doing it when you're young is, is really smart. I mean, um, 10 years in and, you know, I'm about to turn 38 and I've got 10 years of running a business under my belt. So I, I think that that's going to be helpful as Tree Tree continues and I get to fiddle with it longer, you know, and, and enjoy it longer. I still have a long career ahead of me. And I almost think about it too, like if worse came to worse, which I don't expect will ever happen for you guys, and it sounds like, you know, a great trajectory that you're on, and things... Don't jinx us, Josh. Yeah, yeah, I'm not gone. I think this is fake wood, which is unfortunate, but <laughs> that's what you get from buying from Ikea. Um, I think that if, if worse did come to worse, like you, you have built a 10 years of a business that's successful, like who wouldn't want someone like that on their team or within their company at the C-level or at the C-suite? I know I'm unemployable, though. Well, I, I could just, never. I was trying to root for you, but yeah, <laughs> you just I shot just me couldn't. Down. I no, I just I couldn't. I don't think I would be capable of going into a situation where I wasn't in control of how the values work and what we do here and what we don't do here and how how people behave and what we tolerate. You know, I just um, I love that aspect of it. So I would probably consult on my own before I would join somewhere else. Honestly, my backup plan was always sales. You know, I, I've never had a resume in my life. I'm 36, and I've never really had a job. You know, it's pretty crazy. I've never gone to a job interview. I've always had my own business. But I've always said, hey, if, if I have to feed my family, I can go sell something for someone. You know, like that's a, a skill that most entrepreneurs possess and I think I could, I could do, mm -hmm. you know, but it's not something that's a plan that I hope to do. What's impressive on that note, too, to me is that, like, for me personally, I've, I've felt similar in my life, but I've also needed that sense of achievement and had to be a part of something to feel confident about myself personally. Like, if I just went out on my own after college and I failed as an entrepreneur, I think I would struggle a lot because I would need something to feel like, okay, I, I'm, I have this job right now, even if I'm failing an entrepreneur on the side, I'm okay. To do it all in, though, is a it's, total different story. It's insanity a little bit, and I had a really unique aspect to that story because as I was leaving that agency where I had worked my way up to like a VP equivalent level, you know, I had a, a certain salary and had built a lifestyle that required more money than I was going to make my first year as an entrepreneur. And I had to go through personal bankruptcy to get Tree Tree off the ground. And it was an incredibly hard year. And um, there were there were days where I had a hard time getting out of bed and we didn't have a ton of projects in, in the very beginning. So it was working on prospecting and growing at a time when no one was hiring agencies, <laughs> you know? So it was just, we were, we had to really believe that this would all pass and the economy would improve and we would get this under our belt and move forward and just hang in there. But it was it was a really tough first year, personally, to experience all of that and make those sacrifices and exciting at the same time. I had a, an instinct that these were tough choices that would serve me well in the future. And I think um, anytime I've followed my intuition in business and in life, I, I'm right. And this was one of those like big gut moments 
So when you look back, when was the turning point when the light, you know, started to shine again and you were able to come out from kind of that uh, downward turn that you went through for a little while? Uh, it was probably the first year, 18 months, uh, where it felt like we were a little less imposter syndrome plagued. You know, it really, there were days where, you know, it was just, it was really tough and um, joining meetings and not feeling like we were being taken seriously, being the only women in the room, being um, by far the youngest, being young and female, you know, we had a lot of stuff kind of working against us. I think we worked really hard to try to prove that we had had earned and deserved a spot at that table because we were really smart. And we may look young, but wait until we open our mouths. And we've got good things to say and smart things to say. And we got our stride. We got an office about nine months in, which happens to be Chris and I were dating at that point. So entrepreneurship you know, is a part of what drew us together. And, and, and so he's seen Tree Tree from since six months on. So that's been a, a really cool thing. And, and he is by far like the biggest fan and cheerleader I could ever ask for. It's incredible. Um, but we got an office in December, so a few months after we had opened, mainly because we were tired of trying to communicate over the phone. You know, technology wasn't as far along and as helpful to collaborate from afar, so we had a tough time pointing to things and you know being able to help concept and improve the work when we weren't in the same room and got an office and wanted to just also say to the world, like, we're doing this. We're not temporary while we wait out when people are gonna start hiring again in communications. We are doing this. There's an interesting dynamic regarding the self-image portion that you talked about. For me personally, when I relate back to the story you're telling, like when I walk into meetings and feel young, it's mainly the image in my head, not really how people perceive me, what I'm realizing. And I, I had to do things like, get a, a nice car to feel myself make myself feel more professional you know and start wearing nicer clothes and all these things so the office to me that you that you guys went into kind of feels like the same like now we're official do you feel like that helped your self-image and made you feel like more of a business in your head yeah i think it also did something in the way of commitment it uh, really solidified for both of us that and the tattoos we both got on our wrists of the company logo were a great sign of commitment and and um, going all in, you know, we signed a lease. Now we're on the hook. Like we really got to pay rent, and oh, we've got all this space. We should get an intern. Okay, now we got to be able to pay that person. So it it got the ball rolling towards growth and gave us a a place to have our purpose come together. And it also helped us improve the work, so we could have a chance of getting hired more because doing it from afar was too difficult. And she had young kids trying to work from home or her trekking down to my apartment. You know, we did the first six months at my dining room table when we weren't doing it from working from home and trying to, you know, call each other. So um, I think it was more about commitment on the office. And, and yeah, we were, it was a pride thing, uh, probably some ego in there. We were, we wanted to shut everyone up who was questioning if, or skeptical. And the cool thing is, the people in our lives that we were really close with were never the ones who were skeptical, you know, or concerned for us. I was really worried that my parents would think I was like losing my mind. I mean, they knew I was going through, like, what is our daughter doing? She doesn't have a job. She's 27. What the hell does she know? She's, um, you know, going through this financial crisis. And she's not just like going and getting a job so she doesn't have to do, you know, and they supported it all the way. I still, I don't, I don't know like how they did, how they bit their tongues if they were ever feeling that because that'd be really hard. I'm a parent now and you don't want to see your kids suffer. So Chris, as this is unfolding, you know, in your starting up the lighting business at this point, is that how that's going? Yeah, I'd been lighting a few years before that and, uh, and it's kind of cool how our businesses and our relationship really intertwine. Uh, I mentioned we went to middle school and high school together. Uh, what I didn't mention is that Becca was a year older and probably three levels cooler than I was in high school. 
and uh, and you know it's it's a true story. I can believe it. Yeah, Just and so <laughs> we we did not hang out. We were not friends. I knew who she was, and I have a funny last name, so she had heard of me, but that's about it. And we were randomly friends on Facebook, and she had just started her business and said, hey, we should grab coffee to talk about business, owning the business. You know, really, she thought I got a lot hotter and seemed more attractive at the time. I mean, it's no joke. Yeah, and so so we went to Bodega in the short north, and that was our first date, and it, it went pretty well, I would say. Um, but it was really, it's been really, really cool just to have the front seat to see Tree Tree grow the way that it has. And I've been there for all of the crap, you know, and, and all of the joy along with it. And it was, it's awesome. And I had, my business really grew a lot because of my relationship with Becca. And she was more focused on growth and watching her help motivate me. You know, I, I, I had a lifestyle business where I paid for myself, I didn't have any other responsibilities, and I like to play a lot. You know, I, I, I'd go on surfing trips and snowboarding trips and, and go have a lot of fun. And if I ran out of money, I'll, I got to work harder and make some more money and, and go play. And then watching her really build something meaningful made me want to focus more. I was still painting and still doing holiday lighting, and I was lighting mostly residences, and I had started doing some more commercial work. And that it was starting to grow to the point where, man, I'm, I'm doing more revenue in a couple months of the year than I'm doing the whole rest of the year painting. You know, and my first big break was they tore down the city center, the coolest mall ever at the time in, <laughs> in Columbus, and they put up the Columbus Commons. And I was able to, to get in on the bidding process to put up their Christmas lights. And I was going up against a guy with a huge company that lit, was the first company to light Easton at the time. And so I, you know, I had no portfolio, barely a website at the time. To me, this was the biggest deal of my life at that time. To him, it was kind of small. And so I put a ton of effort and really, really you know, wanted to wild them in my presentation and my my deck and everything. And this guy kind of scribbled on a piece of paper. And so they took a risk on me and hired me because I also turned out I was a lot less than he was as well. And so that was my first, you know, signature commercial lighting job where everyone in the city saw it. I go, if you want to see cool lights in Columbus, you go to the zoo, you go to the Alum Creek show and you go to uh, Columbus Commons and we did the Columbus Commons and that really was a springboard and of course having Tree Tree there with all this marketing knowledge you know they made a website for me and helped me get a logo and get going and that really helped grow the business too because now I have credibility and I can show all these commercial jobs so I started focusing less on doing residential jobs and more on uh, on parks, municipalities, because if I light 10 houses for $1,000, they all want the same service and the, you know, the same focus as one $10,000 job for a park. And so it just made more and more sense to go after these bigger jobs and raise the minimum. And, and now we still, we still do homes for sure, but we're doing a lot of work for the city, the city of Dublin. So it really changed and grew got to the point where I had been in the painting business for 15 years and I just was sick of it you know and I was I'm doing okay we still did great work we had we were the highest rated company on Angie's list in terms of customer satisfaction but I wasn't passionate about it anymore and I was tired and so I had a former employee and it was pretty cool because almost every year in painting I'd hire my former wrestlers so I coached wrestling in Dublin and then in Hilliard and I spend you know, months with these kids, I know I'm sure as heck not going to hire Brian because Brian's lazy, but I'm hiring Ricky. Sorry, Brian. Yeah, I'm hiring Ricky right away. You know, Ricky worked for me for three years, and they're working for me while they're in college. They're making better money than they would at a lot of college jobs. They get to work outside and have fun. Um, but I had an employee who had become one of my crew leaders, was kind of my second, uh, my right-hand man, and he ended up buying the painting from me. And so I started focusing a lot more on, on growing the lighting 
and adding some other uh, some other aspects to it. It's very cool. It's cool to hear the complimentary relationship and how that played out. And taking a similar approach here to FMX to at least the wrestling standpoint, like hiring you know former teammates and things like that. What uh, I found interesting there is you know some people have a really good ability to transition their work ethic and their dreams in one area to another, and some people you know they kind of miss it. They don't really they can never transition what they had in wrestling over to something else. So seeing the work ethic in that play out has been interesting and it's been an interesting experience for me to try to interview and hire employees like my first time in a management position and, and taking that path i really didn't know what to look for in the beginning i thought i knew people and then a few mm -hmm. weeks later you know one thing that tom said to me in college that you know people can work hard for a day a week or a month but a year two years it gets difficult and what i'm starting to realize is like you know a week goes by a little bit less you know two weeks go by a little bit less so um, it's interesting to see how that plays out amongst, amongst people that you build relationships with. I think a high-level wrestler can be successful in the right environment. You know, it might be different for a different guy, you know, uh, but they have learned the tools that if they're in the right environment, they're going to find success somewhere. You know, I'm a little biased. Yeah, I mean, that is interesting looking at people who have success in one arena and not necessarily in, in the next yeah, I think it, maybe as a leader, too, and I'll be interested to hear both your thoughts on this, I think maybe it's the, the significance of a strong leader is being able to identify in that person what motivated them in the one arena and then bringing it out in others. And, you know, at Tree Tree, I mean, you guys have grown to over 20 people at this point. Over the course of that, those 10 years, you know, how have you seen your employees grow and motivate in different ways? And are there certain areas throughout that 10 years? Obviously, that's a lot of time that really stick out to you and are the most significant throughout that path. Yeah. Well, I think there's the first couple hires are really, in, it's an intimidating thing to do and it's a scary prospect. We've always taken it very seriously. We're making a commitment, not just to the person, but to their family and we don't want to let them down, you know? So we make sure first that the position is really called for and we can support it. In terms of motivation, it's uh, in that process, we're trying to look for evidence that the person's gonna thrive in our environment and understanding what drives them as a person, where they get their energy from. And so our interview process is fairly lengthy to be able to find the right fit because culture is such an important part of our company and we collaborate endlessly. So we've gotta enjoy the people around the table and have a good diverse group of thinkers and respect respect and respect uh, full people so that everyone can get to great work together. So it's different now also because we've had a run now where we've got people that have been here five, six, seven years and their expectations in year one, two, and three might be different and what they want or need or want to see their path evolve into or require in terms of professional development has evolved and there also are changing expectations as our business grows so people who joined when we were four people five people six people it didn't it it made sense to them that we didn't have a really glossy laid out plan for how professional development works at tree tree because you look around and you're it's clear you're in a startup you come to our office now and you look around and people have expectations that certain things are ironed out and that we've got our shit together in uh, some of those areas. They're coming from established organizations. We're having them quit perfectly good jobs at Cardinal Health or wherever you know it is in town and come work for us. So we've had to up our game in, in how that's all handled and on the, the HR side and recruiting to just make sure that we're, we're packaged appropriately and that we have all of the benefits that our folks deserve and some that they don't expect and they're delighted by and really you know, get that in a place that is equivalent with where we are as a company today. And that's been a lot of what probably the last year hasn't been intensely about at Tree Tree has been, you know, as we approach our 10th year in business here next month, making sure that the systems and processes across the board including recruiting and HR, are up to snuff for this size of business and that they're keeping up with how the workforce is changing. How have you found, uh, have you found it difficult to reword that, providing opportunities for people as the company grows and to put some more context behind that here at FMX, what 
I found is a struggle is that people want to grow really, really quick and they watch some people ahead of them advance extremely quickly. But then the company isn't always growing at that rate and to try to keep up with that rate is difficult. And if we don't grow at that rate, I can't provide you the same advancements as everybody else. Yeah. So that's given an important, you guys too, it's like... Yeah. I, I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I think that's an important thing to understand in the process of selecting a candidate in terms of what motivates them. If, if they can tell right off the bat and be honest about the fact that their role in joining your company is that in two years they're going to leave with this different title and that's that's what the point of joining your organization is for them and in exchange for that resume builder they're going to work their butts off and do a great job you have to understand what they're going for and then be honest and clear and transparent about what their expectations should be i think in so many cases whenever there's a conflict between what people want and what we're able to offer, it's most likely something that they're upset about because it has not been communicated well or it hasn't been aligned in the beginning on what expectations should be. And that is something that you know comes back over and over and over for so many different scenarios. We're dealing with people. You know, we're, we're flawed and we're emotional and we have feelings about everything. And so really making sure we're managing expectations and clearly communicating updates and, and listening to one another. So if that person wants to advance and do all these things and we can't send them three, la- like three rungs up the ladder, we always say we don't have a corporate ladder. We have a tire swing in our office. So there's really, you know, not a lot of formality in our structure. We're e- extremely flat. So for someone who wants to leave three ladders or three rungs up a a ladder that we don't have and that's really important to them and we can't give it, we try to seek out what are other things that would fulfill their desires to grow as a professional. And if we can tell at the interview stage that that is that person's motivation, they are very driven by title and they have a very aggressive plan for themselves, good for them, it's just probably not a good fit here. And we're honest about that in the process. We're just not going to be able to offer that. So strong clarity and alignment between their values and their culture that they're looking for and, and the values and culture that you have in place already. Mm-hmm. So And their expectations for their career path. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So going back to recap again, like over the course of those 10 years, you talked a little about where you guys are coming up into the 10 years. Is there anything else that sticks out significantly there between, you know, whether it be a positive or negative that really highlights that entrepreneurship journey for you and your team and along the way? I mean, we had one year where we had not yet hit a million dollars, and it was infuriating. You know, we had been for years at this, and it was so frustrating. Why can we not get across this mark to have one million dollars in revenue? And that felt like a, a big and significant hurdle to get through. And we'd always heard the folklore in business that once you get past a million, it's, it's easier to get to five than it was to get to the million, and it'll happen faster. And we flew past a million on accident. We didn't we were, like it, and we we got <laughs> to two point two, and so we went that year from like six hundred thousand to like two point two million. In it was really over like an eight month period that that happened. That like just the train took off like a bullet, and that was the same year I had my first kid, and we had a son who graced us with his beautiful presence six weeks early on the day that I was supposed to go over with my team the maternity leave plan. A week before we were supposed to move into our new house. Whoops. Of course, when it rains, it pours. Yeah. (laughs) And he's still got a full docket of painting jobs at that time, and we're trying to pack up our house, and our stuff's in four different locations because we we were newlyweds, and we were still, you know, figuring out where everything was going to go and collecting gifts from our parents' homes and all that stuff. We didn't have a crib. We didn't have anything. So there's there are, for people who were there at the time, there's such a, a memory of that morning when my partner announced that Becca had the baby. And everyone was so like, what in the heck is going on? And she came to the hospital and four hours after I gave birth via an emergency C-section in the middle of the night, we were having a business meeting about what the heck had to happen for her to run the parts of the business that I was in charge of, because we never got to do that handoff. 
and it was in an incredibly busy time. So 2013 stands out in a big way as both a huge turning point and another year of just a lot of chaos and change and and personal stress of just trying to manage all of that. Um, and, and so much joy, you know, we had, we had a ton of fun while we were doing it and the team had so much pride in what we were building, but talk about two entrepreneurs at home trying to manage two different businesses with, with different demands and then move into a house while we have a preemie that we have no idea what to do with. You know, we had just, we didn't even take the classes yet for, you know, some of the, the infant care and we figured it out and that's that's really been a theme for me is whenever I feel like it's just, this is going to be the day it all falls apart. You know, there, there are those moments where you worry about that or you let your, your mind get to you. And when I have those, it's like, I can just come back to that solitude and peaceful feeling of it always works out. We will figure this out. The visual of seeing Becca in the hospital bed with IVs, hooked up in her gown, just an absolute mess, but holding her notepad and leading the meeting with, you know, her partner and one of their employees was just hilarious, you know, and, and my head's still spinning from the experience that just happened. And I'm like, how can you even talk about this stuff I right know, now? I'm still under anesthesia. Like, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was, I think I was high. I don't know what I told them, but we got through it and the business succeeded, so I must have covered everything right. One thing that stands out for me it was just recently this week I talked to someone that you know a mutual friend that their company just lost their biggest client and it's you know a huge account big hit and I was thinking back on our history and that's happened to both of us at least three or four times mm -hmm. I was like man I remember I had my biggest client my biggest job it was awesome actually it happened at Columbus Commons you know, that's what kind of got my foot in the door for a lot of these city projects. And it was run by uh, the Downtown Development Corporation. And I designed the whole project, did it for four years. And they decided that, you know, if I can hire young guys to come in and do the work, then so can they. And so they, they took it in-house. And I, I wasn't upset at the time because it had led to so much bigger and better opportunities, you know, and uh, the same thing I know has happened at Tree Tree. They've, they've lost their b number one biggest, most important client, you know, two or three times over the course of the business, but you keep getting an, another newer, bigger mm -hmm. client. and uh, it always works out. Yeah, and it's been neat how the two of us have helped each other grow. We, uh, we were living in a house in Clintonville, and there was this crazy windstorm. Uh, it was a really big deal at the time, and telephone poles just snapped in half, you know, and, and if you know Clintonville, whenever there's any storm, they lose power first because there's no buried wires, everything's above ground. And so it was almost like a little mini tornado. And I'm outside surveying the damage with my headlamp and meet the next door neighbor that we had never talked to before, a couple, couple houses down. Turns out that uh, this lady's high up in a, in a big health organization. Like, oh, well, you should talk to my wife. And that become what that became their biggest client at the time. You know, yeah. is it, it, it really cool. I came cool. home and found him on the couch in the dark wearing a headlamp, and I was like, "What in the heck is going on?" He's like, "I just found you a big client," <laughs> and was so proud of it. But yeah, that that was what she she reached out very soon after that, and we got lunch, and then they gave us a, a lot of work in a short period of time. It was great. There's like this weird sense that I get from, you know, I think I've felt it personally at times, but I get it primarily from the guests that we have on here where if they lost everything, you know, it, it, they understand that they have what it takes and the grit and the character to get it back again. So that yeah. fear kind of dissipates, you know, and there's always an uneasiness, it seems like, but they understand that the storm is going to be weathered. And at the end of the day, like, as long as I don't stop moving, things are going to work yeah. out for the best. I think the uneasiness that I ever feel anymore is more connected to the angst I would have if the worst ever happened and how it would impact my employees. I know I'll figure it out and be okay. It's okay if I can't eat and you know we're figure you know we're we're going through you know a change in that way, but it's not okay to me if I can't make sure that I honor my commitment to them. 
that's not okay to me. So anytime there's a little like, oh, things are getting a little uh, scary or tight or whatever, and that happens and it'll happen again every year 10 more times. And um, that's where that comes from for me. It's this fear of disappointing, letting down, or failing the, the people at Tree Tree. So that's the, that's the part of it that I've never personally felt myself and that I, I do think when I hear your story would be the scariest is knowing that other people are depending on you and their livelihoods and their families. Like for me, and when you're describing the, the portion of your story where things are scattered in multiple houses, like I have this crazy OCD organizedness to my, and that's like excruciating people just to hear that part of the story. So <laughs> it oh was a disaster. <laughs> but there's, there's parts of that where I look back on things in my life, primarily wrestling related, where I think that things were so painful, but they made everything else so much more joyful. You know, like the darkness helps you really understand the yeah. light to a certain, and they were the happiest points of my life now, but so painful during the time. Yes. But it was always me. I was never had anybody else relying on me. You know, it's always been a real yeah. selfish aspect of it. So um, see how that changes when you have employees and, and how that fear kind of evolves mm -hmm. is interesting. That same fear was realized to me once I had a child. You know, people talk about how it changes you and how you feel. But one of the biggest changes for me when we had our first child was I suddenly cared way more about dying. I can't die because if I do, my child won't have a father. And that just can't happen, you know. And I've always lived a life focusing more on myself and having fun and taking lots of risks physically, you know. And now it's like, man, I think I'm going to stop hang gliding because it's pretty easy to die when you're doing that. It's you know? one of the things they ask specifically about hang gliding on a life insurance yeah, I application. Yeah, lied in my application. <laughs> Sorry. Is whether or not you hang glide? Yeah, they, they, yeah. He doesn't a, anymore, yeah. so it's a, a I thought point. people stopped doing it in like the 1800s. But it's, it's that dangerous that life insurance companies specifically want to know if you have or plan to do hang gliding. But it's that responsibility of saying it's not just about yourself anymore. And I know how much Becca takes that to heart mm -hmm. with her, with her team and her employees, you know. And I, I felt that responsibility for the first time I think as a parent. The motivating thing that you added in there is, is resonates with me because I think how much more motivating could anything be in life than to not be living your life for yourself anymore, but to continue to push other people up. Like one thing about my career personally that has kind of been demotivating is that I've looked back and found myself focused in some areas where I'm just focused on myself. And now, like, as I'm changing that dynamic to be, like, managing a team and managing people, I've realized how much that sets you up for failure, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's been motivating for me to finally learn how to find happiness and watching other people succeed rather than just myself. Yeah, yeah that, that becomes one of the great joys in, in developing people, seeing them be successful. I think that that is one of my biggest strengths, is being able to share and enjoy other people's success. And some people yeah. have a, you know, can struggle with that with a jealousy. You know, they see their friends reaching this level in their career or whatever it happens to be. Maybe the same thing in the sports, you know. And I, I've never felt jealous. I've just felt excited. You know, I really want my friends to, to live all their dreams. And some people would not be comfortable having a badass for a wife like I do, you know, watching her build this incredible company that's, way bigger than anything that, I, that I've done. And man, I, I'm just so proud of her and, and I love it so much. I love talking about her and showing her off and, and saying, man, look at, look at all these awards and you know, commendations and look, look, look at everything she accomplished. It's just so cool to be a part of. And so I feel blessed with that ability to really be happy with other people's success. And I think it's another good thing as a coach also. Like if, if you can't get excited about other people's success, then you shouldn't be coaching anything, mm -hmm. you know, so. Thanks, that was sweet. Look at this, bringing, <laughs> bringing you guys together even further, conquering Columbus. Oh yeah. Yeah, I don't know if mine has ever been jealousy. I don't think that, but mine was like so rooted in the fact that I loved the execution and I loved the, you know, accomplishment, 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 that it was weird to see myself have to get uh, satisfaction from knowing that I was helping other people make those accomplishments, you know? So that's your accomplishment though. What I never realized that at yeah. first, you know, it took me a long time to realize like, okay, that's what's supposed right, to make me happy. Right. And by doing that, I'm, I'm making way stronger of an impact with the company than I am if I go out and do it myself. Mm -hmm. But it took me a long time mentally to, just, to rewire those habits and those satisfaction patterns 
But you still had to do it yourself first to, to know how to help them. You know, it's like the oxygen mask on the plane. Like, you got to be able to make sure you can breathe before you can help mm-hmm. help your team do it. So, you know, looking at today and your plans for the future for both of you, you know, what are the, what are the next one, two, five years? I don't know how far out you plan. I try to look 24 hours. So, I don't know. If you don't plan five <laughs> years, that's fine. But what does the future look like for you? Any monumental goals sticking out or? For us and Tree Tree, it's really about continuing to grow and grow in a smart way. There was a time where we grew fast and it felt like it was just kind of happening to us. And we're trying to control that path and plan a little more and make sure that we have the infrastructure set up to support wherever it ends up. I think we could probably at least double our business and add people you know and create more jobs and more opportunities for more people to experience it and still keep the culture that is an important part and the day where we feel like whatever the dynamic is with how big it got or how it's structured or something went awry in the culture is the day i would say it's time to scale back what about you chris you know when i when i sold the painting company and decided to focus on lighting. The, the holiday lighting season is absolutely crazy. It's a crazy time in our family just because there's a small window to get as much work done as possible. You know, no one wants their Christmas lights up uh, in mid-October, right? And everyone wants them up the day after Thanksgiving, everyone. And so we have to manage those expectations. But I've got several crews out working 16, 17-hour days during that time period, and people don't care if it's frozen and you know freezing rain and snow like the stuff starts to go up so we i want to keep growing in a smart way on the holiday side but we've also added other lighting services into the mix light up columbus so we do event lighting which is mostly focused on wedding and high-end parties Um, we do architectural lighting which is permanent outdoor structures and now we do landscape lighting as well, which is more focused on the residential side, but there's you know big commercial opportunities there too. So my, my first goal is to make the holiday side less a large percentage of my revenue to try to even that out. So we're, we're evening it out on both throughout the whole year. We're doing more work on the other revenue streams than just on the holiday side. And then I would say my next biggest goal is to address my, my biggest weakness as an entrepreneur is that I spend more time working in my business than on my business. And I'm, I'm so particular with how things have to be done that I'm not good at letting that go and, and hiring people to, to run areas of the company where I can help grow the business in other places. So that's a, a big, you know, I would say more of a one or two year goal to make sure I have uh, some full-time employees that I can trust and, and know the business and I can continue to grow and sell and do the stuff where I'm really good at. Let's make it a one-year goal. There you <laughs> go. As you can see, I have some internal motivation from my bride there. <laughs> and then the final question we wrap up with, which is the theme of Concrete Columbus, is live uncomfortably. So we're curious about is, you know, how does it, how does it uh, resonate with you and how does it apply to your life and what comes to your mind when you think of it? Yeah, it's a great question. I... I always go to times where I have to manage change as a time where I personally feel very uncomfortable. And I'm sure anyone going through a big change or transition does. It's like that messy middle between what what is and what will be. And there's a lot of space in that middle part that you have to figure it all out and you have to get used to it. And some of the stuff that you're leaving behind is still there or straggling and you haven't quite gone over on everything that's part of the new. And and that can be a difficult process and very uncomfortable to sit through and be patient with and to be kind to yourself during that process. And I think of um, the analogy of when I went trapezing and I did that. I still don't know how I had the guts to do that, but I did in New York City when I was in my 20s with a group of friends and I got up there and grabbed on and then there's a moment if you're gonna do the coolest part where you let go and someone catches you. But the space, it takes a very, you know, high amount of courage to actually let go of that bar because you're just flying in the air. 
but the act of letting go and then what feels like an hour of time where everything slows down and you're hoping, oh my God, I hope I get caught and I don't just fall into this net and have that gravity feeling, you know? And then you get caught and you're on the other side. So that is something that comes to mind about kind of that moment of being uncomfortable. And we have to manage a ton of change all the time as business owners. So I would say I live uncomfortably an awful lot. Chris, you're not gonna top that, but you can uh, you can add yours in as well. Well, it's funny because I told you I've listened to a lot of Conquering Columbus podcasts, and I've heard you ask this question many times, so I've thought about it. And I gotta say, you've gotten a lot better at asking. You guys kind of fumbled around a little bit uh, in the early in the early days. Hey, so. Mike, Mike well, is fumbled. Yeah. Let's not throw us both under the bus. Yeah, all right, I'll, we'll we'll just make fun of Mike since he's not here right now. That's fair. But yeah, I guess it always brings to mind two different two different things. And the first is that the relativity of just being where we are in Columbus, so blessed in so many ways, to talk about being uncomfortable sometimes feels silly because I've, I've seen a lot of other parts of the world and even people in Columbus like live way more uncomfortable lives, not by choice, but by their circumstance. And it, it sucks, you know? So I've, I'm first reminded, yeah, we talk about being uncomfortable, but I got a place to live. I've got people that love me. I've got food to eat. And, you know, I, I hire people that aren't always in that same situation. So first I think, man, I'm really blessed to be as comfortable as I am. Um, and then the, the second analogy I think of involves extreme sports. I've never been a big weightlifter, but I, I love sweating. And I'm a wakeboarder, I'm a snowboarder, I'm a kiteboarder. You know, I surf, I rock climb, and do all these fun activities. And you never get better at those activities without really struggling. So when you're wakeboarding, I was on the, I was on the Ohio State water ski team, and we were trying to land a new trick on a wakeboard, you eat shit. There is no way around it. Like, you don't just land new tricks. You're trying to do a 360. You're trying to do a flip. And constantly, you, get, you smack your face in the water over and over and over until you get to that moment where you land it for the first time and everyone in the boat goes nuts and you're just ecstatic, you know, and you don't get to that feeling of elation without a bunch of uncomfortability leading up to that point. And that same analogy applies in relationships, in business, and in sports, same thing in wrestling. You know, you have to go through the crap to get to the good stuff. And you know, you got to remind yourself when you're going through that crap that it's for a reason. It's for for a goal, whatever it is that you're focused on. So to me, being uncomfortable is reminding me that it's about to get really cool and about to get better if I keep going through and, and dealing with this junk. That's awesome. I think that's a great place to wrap up. And any final uh, remarks on both your end? Really appreciate you having us here, Josh. Yeah, yeah. appreciate you coming. Excited, I'm excited to see... Uh, where all three of you guys end up in your careers, and uh, I'm rooting for you. Awesome. We appreciate it. Thanks, Josh. Talk to you guys later. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here, and that's going to start with FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state, and you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And our last sponsor is Small Biz Cares. 
Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. And Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to join like-minded businesses to raise money for great causes, participate in large-scale volunteer efforts, and improve educational opportunities for youth in our community. To get your small business involved or to learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That is smallbizcares.org. Finally, if you've ever wondered what it takes to start your own podcast, we're here to help. We're putting together a podcast startup package with our recommendations and some of the key lessons we learned over the past two years of podcasting. You can sign up by heading over to our website, conqueringcolumbus.com. And while you're there, don't forget to give us a like on Facebook and be sure to subscribe and share Conquering Columbus wherever you get your podcasts. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.